friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai 31 years. Oh, did I work hard this week? Yesterday, six big cases. But what was interesting about this week is the variety of surgeries I did in this sense, which will be very relevant to today's topic, Some of the surgeries I did, for example, on Monday was a torn rotator cuff in someone's shoulder where they literally ripped the tendon off of the bone. And my job as a surgeon arthroscopically was to grab the tendon that had been pulled off the bone, put some Kevlar-like stitches in it, and reattach it where it came from on the bone. I'm repairing something. That's different than yesterday's cases where one of the patients, their knee literally looked like a pretzel. They had previous fractures, previous surgeries, and it was so malaligned and crooked, I didn't repair what was there. I actually rebuilt and reconstructed their knee to make it straight. Thank you to my dad, the carpenter, who taught me what a miter box is and how to make two 45-degree angle cuts that then become a 90-degree angle. When you look up at the ceiling in your kitchen or in your living room, look at the molding as it comes to the corner of the room. You'll realize that the molding comes together at a right angle because it's a corner. That's a 90-degree angle. Well, the carpenter, the finished carpenter, the master carpenter, in my view, a surgeon with wood, they perfectly cut two 45-degree angles and made that molding come together as a 90-degree angle to fit perfectly in the corner. Well, those same principles is what I have to use to get a crooked leg, whether it's bow-legged or knock-kneed, to become straight. I'm proud to be the son of a carpenter who went into medicine because of my mom, the nurse, who said, Robbie, do me a favor. First, you should be a doctor. Then you could do whatever you want. So here I am every Saturday morning with you guys telling you stories about my life as a surgeon. I'm so excited for today's show. At 8.15, calling in are the surfboard repair folks from Ventura called Mint Surfboard Repair. My prized Steve Walden surfboard, my Laker board, was severely damaged recently. You heard all about it when I pretty much had a concussion, but the nose of my board was pretty much chopped off in the ocean. This collision led me to have to retire my surfboard to get it fixed. Well, who fixed it? The guys and gals that you're going to hear at 8.15 calling in. They're masters at repairing things, things that are surfboards. It made me think all week about the idea of not creating a new surfboard. That's not what they're interested in doing. The pride they have in repairing the creation that someone else made. Where in art, where in sports, and I just told you about my life in surgery, where do we see this pride, this satisfaction in not just working with your hands, but restoring something else or something that someone else made, I should say? Well, for me, I thought a lot about it. Let me just get to my place here. In sports, USC football had fallen on hard times, like 20 years. The John Robinson era was over. It was not until Pete Carroll came along and restored the legacy of USC. Pete Carroll is a restoration expert, and in a minute you're going to hear how he does it, the pride he takes 
not only in restoring a football program at USC, but of restoring gang members' lives here in Los Angeles. Quietly, behind the scenes, without fanfare, Pete Carroll went into some pretty tough neighborhoods and met with some pretty tough gang members all by himself, not with police escort, but by himself, because that's what his fabric is in his bones, restoring the legacy of USC football and restoring the lives of these young men in the gangs in Watts. You're going to hear about it. It's really, I did not know this, and it's fascinating. What about in art? I believe the world of sports, the world of surgery, the world of art, all the passions that I have, they are the same. So if we find a topic, we can find it in that other world. Well, in 1943, one of America's greatest painters, Jackson Pollock, he invented the whole idea called action painting. What does that mean? That means he literally revolutionized the art world from the very early days where cave painters worked on the wall of the cave, vertical, and all the Renaissance painters, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, they are painting vertical paintings, except the Sistine Chapel, actually, now that I think about it, was horizontal. But it wasn't until Jackson Pollock in 1943 took the canvas off the wall and put it on the floor and drip painting on it. You literally can feel him still making the painting when you look at one of his drip paintings. Well, in 1943, the largest painting he had ever made, 20 feet long. Look on the highway at those 18 uh, wheelers driving by, those gasoline trucks or whatever. That's the size of this painting. It's immense and it's called mural. He painted it in 1943 for Peggy Guggenheim. Well, in 1947, she went to Venice and moved and she left this painting to the University of Iowa for their art museum. And for 50 years, they are so proud that they have this amazing painting. But guess what happened? Because it's so large, it started to sag. And when that canvas started to sag after 50 years of hanging on the wall, the, the paint started to peel and crack. It's basically being destroyed before their eyes. What did they do? They need a surfboard repair guy. They need Pete Carroll. They need a restoration expert who can delicately and elegantly restore the painting. Where did they go? They came to Los Angeles because who are the best in the world at restoring art, repairing a surfboard? The Getty Museum. Wait till you hear the sound bites of what they discovered in repairing this painting and just the science and technology behind it, it, it pales what we do in surgery to the tools that they have at the Getty Museum for these fine art restoration projects. Clapper Vision, I can't wait to open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Clapper Vision today is gonna to be about Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle, Gerald McCoy. He's Marcellus Wiley size. He's six foot four, 300 pounds. And he ruptured, 10 years in the league, he ruptured his quadriceps muscle. The Clapper Vision's gonna be a boat trailer attaching to that ball on the bumper of my truck. The boat trailer and boat is wider than my truck. Your quadriceps is wider than your knee, wider than your kneecap. Yet you need that width. You need that girth. Quad means four. There's four different muscles that attach. They coalesce. They come together right at the ball on the bumper, the boat trailer. That ball on the bumper is your patella. It's your kneecap. It's just like that ball on the bumper. And in essence, they didn't break the ball. They, he didn't rupture. He didn't break his kneecap, but he pulled the trailer off the ball on the back of his bumper. How do we fix those? Ah, I'll let you into the operating room. We'll do that a little bit later uh, when the clinic is open. But let's get right into today's show. Steve Paulette, I want to talk about Pete Carroll. I want to talk about him as a restoration project. Let's play number one. He has the highest winning percentage of any active coach in Division I football. 
He took a once great college team that had been on a 20-year slump and turned it around, winning two national championships. If you're a football fan, you may already know all that. But tonight, you'll see another side of Pete Carroll that you probably don't know. He's taken his coaching ability far beyond the football field to a place you might never expect. Let's hear a little bit more about Pete Carroll's legacy and gift at resurrecting the USC football program in seven years. He wins two national championships. He generates three Heisman Trophy winners. He truly turned the program around because of his unique way of coaching. He has a gift for turning things around. He has a gift for repairing a legacy. He didn't create the USC legacy. He repaired it just like a surfboard repair ding expert and just like the Getty Museum. Let's go to number two. He's been called the Prince of L.A., and this is Pete Carroll's castle, the L.A. Coliseum. Home field to the University of Southern California Trojans. It's here where 93,000 loyal subjects bleed red and gold on Saturdays. A uniquely American ritual played out with more glitz, glamour, and pageantry than almost anywhere else in the country. The man interviewing him speaking is Byron Pitts. He's one of my favorite, and he's from 60 Minutes. Let's go to number three, Pete Carroll. This is how we like it. It's how we want it to be. I don't want any differentness. I want it as hyped and as, and as uh, big time as possible. And, and, and I want to show that we know how to deal with it and handle it and still play beautifully, you know? So. They played well enough on the day we were there with our cameras to beat up cross-country rival Ohio State. They did it with a stifling defense, despite some unusual distractions. During the game, when it was still undecided, one of your players was posing for a picture with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the governor stepped in. I heard he was there. I didn't get to see him. You know you're restoring the legacy of that proud football program at USC when the governor's going to come and be on the sidelines. Let's go to number four. Uh, well, how do you turn on the governor? I mean, I, I got some power over him, but not that much. But it's during the game. Yeah, well, I didn't know that happened. Who did it? <laughs> <laughs> Make no mistake, it's that unconventional, laid-back California style that's part of Pete Carroll's success. He's produced three Heisman Trophy winners, 42 NFL players, and 30 All-Americans in just seven years. But not everybody can do what Pete Carroll does. Not everybody can repair a surfboard like mint surfboards. And not everybody can repair a treasured painting like the Getty Museum. Charlie Weiss, who was one of Bill Belichick's assistants, he went to Notre Dame because they won all those Super Bowls and they gave Charlie Weiss the credit. Guess what? He ain't, he's not capable of doing what Pete Carroll can do at USC. He could not do it at Notre Dame. Let's go to number five. One of your rivals, Charlie Weiss, the coach in Notre Dame, said on this program on 60 Minutes that all coaches are miserable. Are you miserable? No, I never have been miserable. I keep thinking day to day that something good is just about to happen, you know, and, and so I, that mentality, whether I'm in a game or coaching in the midst of a season, I don't know how to think otherwise, and that doesn't take you to misery. Let's go to number nine, Steve. Here you're going to hear the secret sauce He's an expert, not at tearing down players, but he's an expert and restoring them with positive comments. Number nine. Unlike more traditional Two coaches, drops. Coach Carroll doesn't tear down his players. He builds them up. That's great running, 13. God, that's a good-looking play. Nice goal. Great run, Marky. I like it. I like it. We did see him get tough on a player when a fight broke out. Come on, Christian. We don't ever do stuff like that. Never. We never do stuff like that. You're out of the football game. Bull, put your helmet down. God dog it. One of our players, you know, punched a guy, you know, trying to get him away from him. You know, I ripped his tail pretty good. But I needed to get right back to him and, and teach him what just happened, you know. It's in Pete Carroll's blood to restore to repair. That's the joy he has, not in creating an original surfboard, but in repairing one that someone else made. But what I didn't know about Pete Carroll was that during his tenure here at USC, it wasn't enough to repair the legacy of USC. He felt his calling, his talent, is repairing young boys 
that life is full of joy. Life can be whatever you want it to be. Listen to this part of Pete Carroll's life. Let's go, into, let's go to 10. That's why during football season and more often in the off season, this high profile celebrity coach goes into some of the most violent neighborhoods in Los Angeles, recruiting not star athletes, but gang members in an effort to end gang violence. He started these nighttime trips in 2006. There were nearly 300 gang-related murders in L.A. that year alone. Mm. Let's go to number 11 as we the hear need more was so about obvious. The need was so obvious. Kids getting killed in the streets is just not okay. It's not all right. Two days after the Trojans beat Ohio State, he took us to Watts. Pete Carroll was reluctant to let us bring our cameras here because he didn't want the young people he met to think he was looking for publicity or exploiting them. He usually travels with no entourage, no security. This housing project is ruled by one of LA's most notorious gangs, the Crips. You've heard him bark out on the sidelines, but listen to him coach the young men in Watts, gang members that he's trying to repair and resurrect and bring back the legacy of their lives. Number 12. Just like he's taught football players from across the country to play as a team, Carroll's trying to teach bitter rivals they can live together without violence. You could quiet this thing down. Wouldn't that be that awesome if you did it? Think if you guys were the guys that did it here and you've never been done before. While he was talking, police helicopters constantly flew overhead. They call it the ghetto bird. The ghetto bird. The ghetto bird. The ghetto bird. They're used to those ghetto birds. They're not used to having someone like Pete Carroll give them his cell phone number. I'd be happy to do that, you know? Cool, Get your thank phone you. Out. Get your phone out. Sure. It's motivational. I mean, I met Pete Carroll and he said he, he would offer his services to me. He gave you a cell number. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. One of my favorite, favorite LAPD officers. I know him very well, Sergeant Curtis Woodall. He's a gang expert in that very neighborhood. Listen to Sergeant Curtis Woodall talk about how Pete Carroll not only repairs football programs and young men's lives in Watts, he even repairs police officers who now see the gift that Pete Carroll has as a repair expert. Let's go to number 13. Sergeant Curtis Woodall, a 13-year veteran of the L.A. gang wars, was skeptical when Coach Carroll first got involved. I thought it was a joke, to be honest. Not anymore. He credits Pete Carroll's group with helping to reduce the murder rate and changing the attitude of street heart and police officers. He's actually rejuvenated me as a police officer. He's actually giving me hope. It sounds like you are drinking the Kool-Aid big time. Hey, look, as, as long as I can see kids who would not normally walk around here, maybe be at a crime scene under a sheet. I'm happy. God bless you, Curtis Woodall. And I'm glad I've been able to help you. Love that man. And finally, listen to what happens when Pete Carroll brings those gang members, those kids that he's trying to show a better way to live. He brings them to the sidelines during the football uh, games during the height of the USC program, he brings them to the sidelines to show them what's possible. Not to be football players, but just to see a different slice of life. He is an expert in repairing people's lives on every level. Number 14. Look at the expressions on their faces as they watch their first USC practice. These are the boys P. Carroll met in the projects. He invited them here not to make football players out of them, but to show them a different and better world than the one they know. That's really cool you guys are here. Pete Carroll moves easily between both his teams. To him, they're all just young men who need a coach. Each person holds so much power within themselves that needs to be let out. And, and sometimes they just need a little nudge, a little direction, a little support, a little coaching. And, uh, and you know, the greatest of things can happen. I can't wait at 8.15 to ask my guests don't you want to be in the limelight to open a surf shop and shape your own surfboards? Why would you go the route of, nah, we have a passion for repairing the surfboards that other people made? For me as a surgeon, there's a passion I have for repairing the rotator cuff that tore, but I also live in the same life 
of creating a brand new joint for people. I can't wait to talk to these folks at 815 about the joy they get in repairing others' works. Why do they choose that route? Coming up next, we're gonna get into the world of art. The experts at repairing great works of art here in Los Angeles. You don't wanna miss this. This is about the Getty Museum and Jackson Pollock. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Get the coconut telephone. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm the Kobe Every Bryant of teeth brushing. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Soy Perdador, I'm a loser. That's what you say when your surfboard's been smashed. But if you call the people at Mint Surfboard Repair in Ventura, you get a brand new surfboard, you're not a loser anymore. Can't wait to talk to them at 8.15. And speaking of surfing, last Sunday, did I have fun. The waves were fantastic. But the best part was after the session, sitting down with my buddies, particularly Ed, Sayor, who said, Robbie, I got to send you to the best Mexican restaurant, the best beef burrito you'll ever have. Now, I'm a big fan of El Tarasco in Manhattan Beach. My mouth is watering already. I can't even talk. Because I've been eating the Junior Super Deluxe Burrito for 35 years. The problem with that is it's on a plate and you gotta have a fork and you gotta sit at the counter, which is not a problem, I love that. But what Ed was talking about was wrapping your hands around a seasoned burrito, beans and rice, and you pour that homemade salsa on top I sat in my car with the air conditioner on after surfing and I was only going to eat half of it. I couldn't help it. I ate that gigantic burrito all in one setting. It was the greatest beef burrito I've ever had. The kind that you could hold in your hand and devour. Trust me, we don't have this in New York, but you have it here. And I'm going to tell you, where the best beef burrito to wrap your hands around with their homemade salsa is that I've ever had. Oh my God, was that good, and I can't wait to go surfing tomorrow. The waves will be great, but I'm looking forward to eating the burrito more than surfing the wave, I think. I'll tell you where that is a little later in the show. But let's get into the continuation of the idea of repairing someone else's work You need a special ego where you're not getting credit for being the creator. You just love trying to figure out what the creator tried to achieve and assisting that resurrection of that original creative idea. Let's go to the Getty Museum's restoration. Let me just tell you a little bit about the painting. 1943. Jackson Pollock, he only lives to be 44 years old. He dies horrifically in a car accident because he got drunk. He was an alcoholic and wrapped his car around a tree. So fortunately, he didn't hurt anybody else. But this painting is 20 feet long, eight feet tall. And it's been living in Iowa in their museum with great pride for all these years, since 1951, I think they got, because Peggy Guggenheim moved to Venice, Italy. She had it in her house in New York City, and she commissioned Jackson Pollock to make this giant painting. But because it began to sag and crack, it needed to be restored, otherwise it was going to tear in half and fall apart and all the paint was gonna chip off. Listen to the experts at the Getty Museum here in Los Angeles talking about their passion to figure out what it was 
that Jackson Pollock was trying to achieve and breaking down microscopically with CAT scans and MRI type technology, space age stuff to figure out the work mural by Jackson Pollock and to restore it and repair it. Let's go to number one. It's a landmark work in that he is shifting in, in his ideas of how to apply the paint, uh, what kind of paint to use. It's one of the earliest all over uh, compositions. You know, I think it was exciting for everybody to see this shift in, in away from figurative painting towards the abstract. It's not only the abstract, you're gonna feel, I took my office in a stretch limousine, we went to the Getty to see this. It was during, I think it was 2012 to 2014, right? So in 2014, they finished the restoration. Before they sent it back to Iowa, I got a chance to see the finished product, and it was awesome. Let's go to number two. There's a whole suite of instrumentation being evolved now looking at imaging, uh, an entire work of art. So it's great when you take a tiny microscopic sample of paint. You know, we can tell so much about what's in that tiny, tiny sample. But really, that could be a unique case. You know, a bit of paint one inch away from that could be completely different. So when you tie in the point analysis, detecting certain pigments or binders with these new techniques where you can look across the entire surface of the painting and target certain materials, um, we can tell, for example, with mural, we can tell, for example, with mural, we could target the different blue pigments. We could see exactly which blue was put where across the entire surface with hyperspectral imaging, one of the techniques we use, as well as this fantastic, uh, almost sort of fortuitous instance where a particular material that was present in the casein house paints, uh, we, we couldn't detect the casein by imaging, but this component that was only in the casein house paint, um, it was an aluminium silicate extender. Uh, that material we could, uh, um, we could image across the whole surface. So we have a great image where we can see exactly where this house paint was used compared to the oil. But listen to this. For years, the myth, which was propagated by Peggy Guggenheim, who, paint, who paid for this painting, was that he had writer's block. He kept looking at this blank canvas that he stretched day after day, week after week, and he could not figure out what he was going to paint on it. His wife, Lee Krasner, said he woke up one night, jumped out of bed, and for 24 hours straight, started to paint. Well, that's true, but also not true. And these detectives, these restoration experts, figured that out. This is fascinating. Let's go to number four. Once Pollock got the canvas stretched, he had this immense, vast, expansive canvas and didn't know what to paint. And so he had, you know, artists, painter's block, if you will, didn't know what to paint. And then uh, inspiration struck him one night and he painted the entire painting in a very short 24 hour, 36 hour period. But we were able to look more closely, of course, at the layers of paint and really show that in fact, that that couldn't have been possible. Ah, but they did discover by microscopically looking how the paint layered on top of it, they could tell when and how, and how much time it took for this paint to take place. Incredible research. Number five. Colleagues had already disproved that. I mean, made it very clear that when you look at the number of oil paint layers on this painting, and oil paint takes days, if not weeks, to dry. And you could see very clearly that a lot of the oil paint had been applied over existing dried layers. That this wasn't possible. But we did make a discovery, we think, where we actually added some truth back to that myth, which was there were four paints, uh, the first four paints that went down. There's a bright yellow, there's a red, a brown, and a, a, a dark sort of bluey-green uh, teal color, um, which were all applied very dilute. Uh, they were all mixed wet and wet. You can see very clearly in cross-sections these, 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 these layers blended together. And they're across the entire surface, so we're fairly confident that there was this initial campaign or probably entirely conceivably done in one night. How did he paint it? Did he just throw the wet paint onto the canvas? Did he take it off the wall and put it on the ground? These guys could actually figure that out. Number six. There's a whole range of ways that Pollock was throwing paint at the canvas. Um, a lot of it is brushed on 
you can see where the brush strokes are, the brush would have touched the canvas. Um, but he's starting to kind of separate brush and canvas. Um, and even though we look very closely at a lot of the paint in this painting, um, which we thought might have been applied with the painting flat on the studio floor as, as came later, we think that the painting was actually executed entirely vertically, leant up against his studio wall, but with different sort of ways of applying the paint, splatter, some paint is dilute, drips down the surface, other paint flies through the, through, through the air, lands on the canvas and stays very much intact. In He's using house paint. Nobody ever did that before. They use acrylic, they use oils, not Jackson Pollock. This is what happens when you revolutionize the world of art. Number seven. In conservation, there are often no completely right and completely wrong answers. It's always a sort of a judgment. We make a decision, we weigh up certain things, and we wanted to kind of let the public into some of those thought processes, um, in particular about the shape of the canvas. I'm a carpenter in the operating room. You need a carpenter in the museum. Number eight. So the stretcher was made here in-house. Uh, we're very lucky here at the Getty in that we have professional carpenters. They worked with us to come up with a design that involves Alaskan cedar, which is a very light but very strong straight-grained straight wood, as well as using a very light but solid support that is, is two layers of very light, thin aluminum with polyethylene in between so that we were able to provide in the sort of open spaces of the stretcher, we were able to put um, a solid material that you're not aware of from the front so that there's no flapping, let's say, around of the canvas itself as it travels. When my surfboard was finished and I could bring it back into the ocean to ride it, it wasn't enough to just say thank you on the phone. I went to the shop to thank these folks myself and to see the smile on their faces, knowing how important this surfboard was to me and what a great job they did. That's, forget about the money you make in life. As Jerry Lopez, the surfer, used to say, if you can buy it with money, it's cheap. But to be able to say thankful, thank you, and be so grateful to get my beloved surfboard back because they repaired it so well, that's exactly what happened to the Getty Museum when the folks in Iowa came to see the finished product, number nine. The most rewarding part of this project undoubtedly was uh, the painting was installed, the gallery is looking great. And then we had a group of about 50 VIPs from Iowa who came um, all the way from Iowa to the opening. They were dressed up, this was a big occasion for them, and they all just went silent and they started applauding. Now, they've known this painting for 30 or 40 years, they've lived with it, um, they know it's important, it's, it's, it's relevance, they're deeply proud that Iowa has this painting. And to have that sort of reaction from them, um, just the appreciation that we'd clearly done something right. At 8.15 we're going to find out what it's like to choose repairing versus creating. Can't wait to talk to them. But let's open the clinic. Actually, we'll pay some bills. We'll come back, we'll open up the clinic. The number's 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh! Oh my God. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Wafogato. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. That's what we do. That's right. This is how we repair rotator cuffs. This is how we repair surfboards. This is how we repair Jackson Pollock murals and how Pete Carroll repaired the legacy of USC football. What a topic. Thanks for hanging in there with me and thanks for telling all your friends. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Robert Clapper. All week long I get to see the weekend warriors in my office. People traveling from all over. It really warms my heart. Let's deal with a weekend warrior right now. The clinic's open. Let's go to Gus in Ontario. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Dr. Clapper, you um, man, you you warm my heart with all the stories. I met Pete Carroll when he was doing that work. 
Um, but anyway, I called about uh, repairing my um, ankle, and uh, I, I guess I have two questions. I have the um, MRI here. Good. Uh, the the I started off with uh, shoulder injury, uh, surfing, and then uh, went down to my ankle on the on the. Um, um, but yeah, my ankle, and I was wondering if there was a connection. But do you want me to read the impression piece or just the impression? Yeah, and go slow so I can interrupt and translate with clapper vision. Okay. And so thanks for hanging in there, Gus. I know we made you wait a long time, but uh, I, I just couldn't help but tell these stories. So thanks so much. No, those are amazing stories. I, I was actually looking forward to uh, for, for the show all week. So. It's always, always an honor to listen to you. Thank you. Uh, so it says large posterior calcaneal spur with associated Achilles tendonitis. I'm sorry, ten, tendinosis and low grade partial interstitial tearing. Okay, so let's stop right there. The I'm just thinking of a good clap revision for you. Let's talk first about the Achilles tendon itself. It's made up of two muscles. If you feel the back of your calf right now with your fingers, you will, and particularly if you push your foot down like you're stepping on the gas pedal, those of you who are driving, please don't do this right now. But anyway, if you're sitting at home and you'll actually feel when you put your foot down, stepping on the gas, two separate feeling muscle heads. That's your gastrocnemius muscle. And that muscle right below the skin originates from the back of the femur of the thigh bone. That muscle actually crosses the back of your knee joint. The width mm. of your calf muscle, what makes it so wide is actually not the gastroc, those two muscle bellies, the medial lateral gastroc heads. But there's a deeper muscle. There's a second muscle completely called the soleus muscle. And that gives you the width of the gastroc, uh, of the calf muscle. But the soleus muscle does not cross the back of the knee. It originates from the back of the tibia, the shin bone, and the, and the top of the fibula, by the fibula head, the back of the fibula. And they coalesce. These two separate muscles come together, kind of like a young girl making a ponytail. You know how they make that French ponytail? They weave. Or in my house, my grandmother used to make challah bread. She used to take the dough and braid it, French braid it. Um, that's in essence what happens about midway down the back of your uh, calf. Those two muscles coalesce to form a very thick canvas-like material, the fascia. And then it shrinks even more and gets thicker as it becomes like a rope. And that is the Achilles tendon attaching to the bone. My best clapper vision for you is a, a leather belt. The belt material is made of leather, but there's a whole separate material, which is the belt buckle, which is metal. So you have this two different materials, leather for the belt, which is flexible, and yet you have the clasp that holds the belt together right under your belly button, which is the metal portion of the belt. How the hell do you attach leather to metal? Well, if you look at a belt, you'll see that they fold the, the leather through the belt and then they put holes in the leather and there's stitches there. On some level, on a clapper vision level, the attachment of the leather belt to the metal buckle is the same as the tendon attachment to the bone itself. And what you're basically doing is the stitches are starting to fray, weakening the connection of the leather to the metal buckle. That's what Achilles tendonitis is. That's what the partial tearing is. If ever there was a case where platelet-rich plasma, take the blood and spin it, could help in the repair, this would be it. Surgery for this? No. The spur itself is a vertical spur. Removing it is not necessarily going to be helpful here. Getting the tendon to resurrect itself is really the answer. The first thing you want to always try is physical therapy, stretching exercises. And that's something that you should try first. If that proves 
to not help than trying an injection of platelet-rich plasma. Do not let anybody put any cortisone, you will rupture the tendon. In rare cases, you can actually arthroscope, I don't know, you can operate on the Achilles tendon. But that's in 31 years, I have never suggested a surgery for a partial tear of an Achilles tendon. I have not needed to go that far. So I'm optimistic for you, Gus. This is either therapy or last resort would be a PRP injection. This is actually where it might make a difference based on the studies that I read. Does that help? It sure does. I, I definitely stayed away from the cortisone, but I didn't know about the PRP injection. So I'm going to look yeah. into that because uh, so I'll give you a couple of names at Cedars. There's a foot and ankle, two guys that I love, uh, Tim Charlton and um, David Thordeson. Look up those guys on the Cedars website. They're foot and ankle orthopedic surgeons, and they're the best in the business. And get an appointment with one. Tell them you're, tell them you're a weekend warrior, and uh, they'll be so head over heels happy that they came to you because you listened to me on the radio. So those are two great foot and ankle guys at Cedars, and they can talk to you about the treatment options, but they know how to do platelet-rich plasma for your diagnosis if the physical therapy does not get you to the promised land. Yeah, I've gone through the physical therapy, and I don't All right. think I'm going to seek them anywhere. out, Gus. They will be able to help, and please keep in touch because I want to know how you're doing. And thanks so much for being a loyal weekend warrior. An artistic thank you to you, Dr. Clapper. Thank you. Well, today, listen, Gus, you're a total stranger. I never met you. I appreciate you saying thank, but I want you to do what Pete Carroll does. You today go find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. A better LA. That sounds good. Exactly right. All right. God bless you. Have a great day, guys. All right. We'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. Man, you got to hear where the best beef, shredded beef burrito is. It's not in Ventura, by the way. It's in Camarillo. I got to tell you all about that. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Magandan umaga. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Cells are just tiny people. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Love that. The season's half over at game 33. Now no traffic, no freeways, no drive home. I stay for the <laughs> nine I can claim. Wow. For it, six, eight, ten beers year out. Love this new fall game. <laughs> That's the great Steve Paulette. Who knew he could sing? We got a Caruso in the boardroom you're fantastic Steve Paulette there's no way I'm making fun of you I love you to death I could not do this show without the talents of the great Steve Paulette 10 years now damn that's a long time all right let's take some calls it sounds like we're lighting up and blowing up in Redlands I don't even know where that is but it's sure is nice to get so many callers from Redlands we got two on the line from the same neighborhood, it sounds like. Um, you take your pick, Steve. Who we got first? Let's go to Marilyn. Gene Crawford says every female caller listener is listening to our show and not during the week. A loyal weekend warrior listener. Marilyn, thanks so much for waking up early to be with us. How can I help you? Hi, Dr. Clapper. I'm um, 69 and I have um, rheumatoid arthritis. Since what do you do for a living? I'm retired. I used to be a teacher. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Where did you grow up? Um, actually, I uh, was born up in Washington State, and then I moved to California when I was about seven, and I've been in uh, Chula Vista, Santa Monica, and now the Redlands is in the Inland Empire, out Great. in the Riverside, San Bernardino. I think I've been there to have Peking duck. 
I think they have a great Peking duck place. That's all I remember. I don't know the neighborhoods. I just know the food I ate in the neighborhoods. <laughs> right, 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 right. What did your father do for a living? He was a welder. Wow. So when he came home at the end of a long day and sat down at dinner, did he wash his hands, take a shower before he sat down to dinner, or did he sit down with his dirty clothes and his dirty hands? He always showered. My father used to use this lava soap to wash yep. his hands when he came home. Did your dad use yes. that lava soap? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the other thing my father did, which would basically give you cancer, he used to deal with tar like he'd be fixing a roof and he'd have tar all over him. And when he'd get me to help him, I had tar all over me. And I remember being in the downstairs bathroom with him. Robbie, all the lava soap in the world ain't getting this tar off. But the best <laughs> thing to get tar off is kerosene. Oh. So he'd take out a jar of, like a bucket of kerosene. There I am in the bathroom downstairs washing my hands in kerosene. Sure enough, the tar would come off. But God knows what kind of cancer you get from washing your hands with kerosene. But you know what? In the 1960s, they didn't know any better. So God bless them for doing that. But I remember the lava soap. And I can close my eyes right now, Marilyn, and I could see your father getting ready for dinner, cleaning himself up with the lava soap like my father did, and then yeah. sitting down at the dinner table. That's fantastic. How can I help you, young lady? I... um. I'm having problems with my right knee. I've had uh, both of my knees replaced in mm -hmm. 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, I fell. I fell in 2001 on my left knee, and I um, disconnected my ACL, and I did some meniscus damage and some things like that. Um, anyway, and because of my arthritis, my knees were breaking down the bone and mm -hmm. right knee, my right knee, which is the one I'm having problems with, um, was, uh, had, you know, I had fallen like back in 88 or something jogging. And so it always was problematic, my right knee. But mm -hmm. when I fell and injured my left knee, then I put all this pressure on the right and the right became worse and worse and worse until it was worse than the, than the one I had actually fallen on in 2001. So I had both these bum knees and they decided that total knee replacement would be a good idea for me. Mm -hmm. And so I had that done. And um, initially I had excellent results. Uh, the right knee once again was done first and it just was, not quite as good as the left knee, even after the, the replacement. And I was actually quite uh, surprised that I still had so much pain in my knee. Mm. And mm. they told me, oh, well, you have rheumatoid arthritis. We can't get rid of that. We just replaced the knee bone, the knee bone, so it won't continue. Okay. Let me just, Marilyn, let me just yeah. stop you there. Whoever yeah. told you that is ridiculous. Why? Because rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease where the lining of the joint, the synovium, right. wakes, wakes up one day because of the DNA that you have. And right. decide, you ready for a clapper vision? Do you listen to the, to the show? Yes, I've been listening. All right. So I'm going to give you a clapper vision for what rheumatoid arthritis is. Okay. If, if your father, the welder, ever got one of the welding fragments, the little sliver of the metal, or in the case of my dad, a carpenter, a wooden splinter in his skin. You know what happens when you have a metal sliver or you have a wooden splinter in your finger? Your body mounts a reaction to try to get rid of the foreign body. It's wood, it's metal, it's not part of your living tissue. So the body creates a reaction. It gets red, it gets swollen. And if you don't take care of it, it can even become infected, but it mounts an inflammatory response. Well, that same capability of making an inflammatory response is what rheumatoid arthritis is. The cartilage, we don't know why, you win a Nobel Prize if you figure this out, but your body wakes up one day and decides that you're cartilage on the end of the bone 
is just like a wooden splinter in your in your knee joint is just like a metal sliver in your knee joint and starts to reject it and starts to eat it away just like it's a foreign body that's what rheumatoid arthritis is so if you do a knee replacement and you remove the cartilage then the synovium has no reason to react to anything so what they told you is ridiculous because actually once you get a bionic knee you no longer can blame anything on rheumatoid arthritis because you have metal and plastic you don't have the cartilage that the synovium is reacting to capiche that's not what my rheumatologist and my um, surgeon told me. Right. Well, you're listen. You just got yourself a second opinion from guess who, Doctor Clapper. So excellent. Your, excellent. Your next chess move, right? It's like being on a chessboard. Your life. Mm -hmm. You need an updated X-ray. Don't let them stick any needles of any kind into your knees. You'll get an infection. But you need to make sure that the bone is still attaching itself to the implant. That could yes, cause had, pain. Well, I, is, I, I've had x-rays. I've had x-rays within the last three months. Good. So yeah, I'd love to see those x-rays. You win the prize, Marilyn. If you want, you can come see me, and I'll tell you what the hell's going on and what the next move is. In the meantime, okay. there's a book I wrote with Lindy Yui called Heal Your Knees. It's all about being holistic by walking in a pool which isn't so easy now with the pandemic, but there are pools that are open. The weightlessness of the water, the resistance on the muscle will take those weakened muscles of yours and make them stronger. Half an hour, three days a week, belly button, high water, walk forwards, walk backwards. Don't let them shoot you up with any shots. Get in the pool, and until then, you need a second opinion, and I'm more than happy to help. Marilyn, thanks so much for calling in from Redlands. We appreciate it. All right, Warriors, coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories. Stories about what my guests at 815 do. They're in the repair business. They repaired and restored my beloved surfboard. But where in sports and where in art and where in surgery do we see the surfboard repair mentality? What drives people to want to be repair people and not create the original surfboard? I'm fascinated by this. We'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN.